0: The scripture readings which we used in our earlier service are almost like the ones we used in the late, not quite. For instance, the epistle lesson which we read today from 1 Corinthians 15 was also in the earlier service from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but a different section. And I just, you know, I had to just sit and grin and almost laugh out loud when we started reading the epistle lesson Because it starts out with these words, they will not be asleep, but they will all be changed. From 1 Corinthians 15, St. Paul's great word. Now, keep that in mind. They will not all sleep. Okay, can you say that? They will not, (laughs) but they will all be changed. I saw in a church in Georgia, a church that Grace Frank might remember in Rivercliff. I think that's where you and Ernie were years ago. And some years after you folks had left, I went there and they had built this beautiful daycare. I guess it's still there. I don't know. And I walked in and they had a nursery and this beautiful room. But above the nursery doors, it said First Corinthians fifteen fifty one. they will not all sleep, but they will all be changed. (laughs) Isn't that brilliant? I think that's just hilarious, and I hope they still have that sign up. But wonderful thing that that Easter brings laughter to us and joy uh, about all sorts of things in life, because it indeed brings joy into a very sad, sad world. And the scriptures are replete with that sadness. You see it so often in the Holy Scripture. Some of it sneaked into the Old Testament lesson for today. I don't know if you saw that. It said something about even bad people will live to be 100 years old, then they'll die. That's not a very upbeat message. But the problem of sin is always somewhere lurking in the background. But Easter comes along and sweeps it away, as it were. The gospel which we shared was from Luke 24, but the gospel from the first service was from John. The same story of the resurrection, basically covering the same things. But the John gospel included some details which are not included in Luke, and I think they're just brilliant. So I'm going to tell you what they are. You already know, but here it is. When Mary went to the tomb, she was astounded because what? Why was she astounded? There was no body there. And she she just can't believe what's going on here. And, and she runs back to where the apostles are, the disciples, and they're in some room somewhere. They're still not in Easter. They're still in Good Friday and the agony of Christ on the cross and the darkness that covered the earth, and they're frightened for their lives, I'm sure. And Mary waltzes in with her hat. I'm sure she had an Easter hat. And she says, fellas, I got to tell you, somebody has taken the body of our Lord, and we don't know where he is. And the disciples are shocked. But it says in the gospel lesson that we shared this morning that two disciples went to the tomb. Do you remember who they were? Anybody? Anybody? Peter, you'd expect, he's always there. And who else? John. And he's identified in the gospel as the disciple whom Jesus loved. His name is not there. But nevertheless, we know it was John. I don't know how old Peter was, I'm guessing. He was 48. How old are you, Pastor? A little older. You're older. <laughs> so if this were you in the gospel lesson, it would have taken you even longer to get to the tomb. <laughs> But John, who is much younger, of course, ran faster, obviously, and the two of these guys are running to see what is going on, if indeed it was true that the body is gone. Here comes Peter in the background, puffing and striving to get there, and John is looking. He didn't go in. He just looked around, but Peter comes. Poof! He bursts right in. Don't you love that about Peter? He doesn't think about anything, but I'm getting in there. So he goes in there, and he looks around, and he reports that the grave clothes were there, the grave clothes. And you get the impression that they're sort of scattered about the tomb. But, you know what the butt is? That little cloth that covered the face of Jesus. The face covering for the dead. It was rolled up and folded beautifully. The rest of the stuff wasn't, but that cloth that covered his face was. You ever thought much about that? Well, I know why it happened. As Jesus was leaving the Easter tomb with all the havoc of the resurrection, the joyful havoc that it caused He's stepping out of the tomb, and he stops, and he can hear his mother, Mary, Jesus, clean up your room, (laughs) and he turned, and he said, yes, mother, folded the cloth. You know, that little detail in the gospel just speaks thousands of paragraphs to us about the power and the authority that Jesus has over death. In some miraculous flash of, of, of heavenly lightning and energy, God the Father raises him to life. In all of that chaos, Jesus still takes time to put certain things in order. And one could say, I suppose, that that folded grave cloth was symbolic in a way. Oh, it was there but it spoke of many things, and it tells us who really is the authority that morning. It's not the soldiers that crucified him, and not the angry mobs, and all of that other stuff. But finally, in the end, the one who spoke so powerfully at the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth, you remember? Now hears the voice of his father, my son, rise up from the dead and take your authority and rule and reign forever. And so Jesus goes back to the disciples, as you know, and I'm sure you'll be hearing some of those stories in the weeks to come. Don't miss them. They're absolutely incredible. As the Lord Jesus Christ, who has overcome death, steps forward, back into the world of ours, and he begins to put it in order, and those who walk through it in his name, in order, and he gives them all their tasks to do, and they go out, and they do them. In the Gospels, we're told that Jesus talks to Mary Magdalene at one point, and he says to Mary, Mary, you go tell the disciples that I'll meet them in Galilee, just like I told them I would. I thought that was so interesting. Why Jesus chose Galilee? Why didn't he choose Jerusalem, for heaven's sakes? That's where the power is. But little humble Galilee is blessed by the footsteps of Jesus as the resurrected Lord of all creation. And there, in Galilee, our Lord Jesus Christ talks turkey. They said, now, now that I've done what I was sent to do, and I was sent to do it by God the Father from all eternity, and by the way, let's say it again, one of the most astounding things that you discover in Scripture, that is this, that when God created this universe, He already knew that it would fall from Him. And there are references in the New Testament about Jesus having been chosen as the redeemer of the world before the foundations of this world were ever laid. So God has it all in his hands and, as you know, sends Jesus to do what Jesus only can do, to give his life as a ransom, the scripture says, for many We have many here this morning, but oh, so many more in this universe who are touched by the power of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, St. Paul is one who stands up and says, I want you people to understand that this resurrection of Jesus is something to which you are forever attached. And you know how that happens to you and me? St. Paul says in Romans chapter 6, don't you know that all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And since you have been baptized into his death, you've also been baptized into his life. It's all yours by virtue of your baptism. By the way, if there are some here who are not baptized, God bless you. But let's talk to Pastor Mark. And let's get that working. Place yourselves at the font. And you can do it again spiritually as it were, if you're a baptized person, and say, thank you for the waters of life, Lord, which you throw over me, by which, not me, but you, take me and place me smack dab into the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's something that never goes away. Nobody can take your baptism from you, not even Satan. I can imagine somebody who's not a very good person dying and going towards the gates of hell. Oh, terrible story. But he gets to the gates of hell and Satan says, welcome, friend. And the person says, oh, I remember. I'm baptized to the gates of heaven. God just doesn't leave his children. He never forsakes us. The resurrection is proof of that. I told a story in the, old, in the earlier service, I'm gonna repeat it again, because it means so much to me. Back in my seminary days, we had a professor, his name was Rares, R-O-E-H-R-S, and he's a well-known Old Testament scholar in our church body. We were sitting in his class as freshmen at the seminary, first year, knew nothing knew hardly how to get to the seminary. But there we were in his class, and he was talking to us about the Old Testament, which was his forte. And uh, we got to the beginnings, and we were studying those stories in the Old Testament, and we came to the one of Cain and Abel. Grace Frank, you remember the story of Cain and Abel, don't you? They both took their sacrifices out, and you know what happened. And for whatever reason, God chose Abel's sacrifice. And I don't really think it was because Cain's was bad. I don't think it had anything to do with that. I don't know what it had to do with, but I know this. Cain became so incensed and angry that he rose up and he did what? Murdered his brother. And sometime later, the Lord in his majesty in ways that only the Lord can do, comes to Cain's house, knocks on the door. He says, Cain, where's your brother? Cain says, how would I know? Am I my brother's keeper? You know that story. And then he is approached by God who judges him for killing his brother, that innocent blood, which cries for vengeance from the ground. And so God takes out vengeance on Cain and sends him away. You read that story. Read it carefully and read it with your imagination and pray for the Holy Spirit as you hear Cain shudder. And he says, what's going to happen to me out there in the land of Nod? I'm not going to be safe. And God reaches down and he makes his mark. On Cain's forehead. Do you remember that story? And Dr. Rares said, Do you young men know what that mark looked like? And he raised his hand and he went like this He made the sign of the cross. And his conjecture as to what that mark looked like was based on his study and all sorts of linguistic abilities of the ancient language which he had. So maybe it was the sign of the cross on Cain. And that's the sign that's put on everyone who is baptized and who is in Christ. And no one can take that mark away. And God will be faithful to the meaning of that mark. You are mine, and I will never forget you, even though you forget me and become impatient with me. I don't do that to you. I'm faithful. Today is April 17th, and uh, Easter Sunday, most important of all days, I suppose. But it's also important to me personally for something a little less trivial, and that's because on this day, back in 1989 my beloved Japanese language teacher Morty Yasko died and some of you may know that Jackie and I and our family spent years in Japan and we learned the language when we got there and Morty Sensei, say you know that word sensei you've heard that she was our teacher and then she began to teach us the writing language. Some of you know that Japanese use the Chinese script for much of their written language. And they're called kanji. And they're ideographs. They're really pictures. And Clifford Horn and I were in class together, and she was teaching us the kanji or the ideograph for faith. And it would be easy to illustrate, but basically it's a picture Most of them are pictures. They've evolved over the centuries. But that ideograph for faith is made up of two characters put together. And the one character is the simple ideograph for man, which just looks like that. And next to man, there is another symbol which is brought together to complete the kanji for faith, and it's a word which represents God's word. And so the picture of faith in the Chinese-Japanese language is this, of a man or a woman leaning on the word of God. And Morty Sensei was watching us with her beautiful brown eyes, asking us if we understood, and we did. And she said in Japanese, desu ne? And Clifford and I looked at each other, and that word that she used means interesting, isn't it? We always wondered about Morty Sensei, and we prayed that she would, after all of her association with missionary-type people correcting their sermons for them, that perhaps she too was hiding faith. And we prayed for her. Hundreds of people throughout the world were praying for Mori Sensei for decades because so many people sat at her feet learning the language and we all loved her. That happened more than once in our language study where she would compare what the language was saying about theology. Did you know that the Japanese Chinese character for flood is a picture of a boat with eight people in it. And as she taught us that character too, I remember she said with a smile on her face, that enigmatic Asian smile, ne? When Jackie and I left Japan in 1970, we came back to America on a boat. Many people came to the dock to bid us farewell. And we even sang the old song, God be with us till we meet again in Japanese. It was very teary. And one of the people that came to say goodbye to us was Mori Sensei. And she came up to me and she reached out, took her hand. She looked me right in the eye and she said, in Japanese, I wish that maybe it would be you that would have baptized me. And we left Japan. We kept touch with her over the years. And in about 1989 or so, a friend of ours, a missionary that you all supported one way or another, Henry Schriever, lives up in New York. He went to Japan on a mission. And he told me that he was going to stop in and see Morty Sensei at the hotel where she now lived. And I told him the story of what she said to me when we left Japan. And he said, basically, I'm going to take along my books. And what he meant was his Japanese Bible and his Japanese liturgy book, which contained the rite for holy baptism. He came to a Tommy, knocked on door 130, in the Atami Hotel. And Morty Sensei came to the door, and they talked. And as they talked, Hank Schriever looked right at her and said, I would like to baptize you. Would you like to have baptism? And she said, Hi. And she was baptized in that hotel room. And when Henry got back to wherever it was that he could, he emailed missionaries around the world, Morty Sensei was baptized. And the whole world of former missionaries and, knew, and those that knew this great woman cried out a shout of joy and acclamation. God was faithful to her. I suppose because of her faithfulness in teaching all of us missionaries the Japanese language and correcting our sermons and making sure that what we said from front made sense in the Japanese language, for so many years she did that, and the gospel took root in her heart, and God never forgot her, and she was baptized. On April 17th, she died. And so now we are joined together, not only with Morty Sensei, but with all the saints of all times and in all places who with us are connected forever to the blessed joy of knowing Jesus as a resurrected Lord and Savior. And he's with us forever. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. indeed.